0: Hello everyone, it's Brit, the Petite Polymath, and today we're gonna to be talking about Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. Get excited! Hi everyone, hope you all are having a wonderful fall. Um, in Austin, it is deciding to be very rapidly fall. I mean, we've had a couple of like cooler days, and then um, today, it started off at like 70 something degrees, by the time I left work, it was 42 degrees, feeling like 34 degrees. And now it's 34 degrees, feeling like 28 degrees. So, you know, we get all the seasons here in Central Texas. Um, anyway, I was traveling this weekend, and um, I always try to grab some books before I fly because I can kind of have, you know, uninterrupted time to read something. And so I grabbed... Margaret Atwood's newest book, The Testaments, which is pretty much a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, so, in a, uh, a moment of vulnerability and, and honest disclosure, I did not know who Margaret Atwood really was until maybe, let's see here, six years ago. So, I was in fellowship in Manhattan, and my co-fellow is Canadian. And a very delightful woman. Hello, Rupal. If you ever listen to this podcast, here's my shout out to you. And so we were talking about books we were wanting to read. And I was like, oh, you know, I keep seeing this name, you know, Margaret Atwood. And I've just never read anything by her. um, Because whenever I see her name, I think of like, you know, I don't know, James Patterson or Dan Brown or something. And she started laughing and she was like, yeah, she's not like that. She is a really big deal, particularly in Canadian literature. Like, kids have to read her books when they're in school. And she's like, if you like science fiction or dystopian, you know, sorts of fiction, you'd love her. And I was like, are you kidding me? How did I not know this? Like, I had no idea who this woman was. Just because I was like, oh, The Blind Assassin. Sounds like some, like, you know, thriller. I'd rather gouge my eyes out than read that. So, needless to say, I kind of had a, a late um, introduction to her, and I ran. The, I read *The Handmaid's Tale*. Um, maybe I think later that year, and then read *The Blind Assassin*. Ha ha! And then read some of her other books. Um, I don't I, *Oryx and Crake*. Um, which actually, at some point along that novel, I was very disturbed, and I stopped reading and gave the book to my friend Elham. I was on. We were on a trip for my birthday, and I, was, and I was on the beach, and I was like, I can't do this. This is just way too heavy. Um, but, at any rate, Margaret Atwood, awesome woman, fantastic author. You completely fall into the world of Gilead. For those of you who have not read The Handmaid's Tale, you might have seen the show. I think FX is the channel that it's on. I have not seen the show because I like to escape brutality when I'm watching TV and that is the very opposite Um, particularly given the current political climate it's just even creepier Um, so that's why I have not seen it I also don't have cable so I think it might be on Hulu I don't have Hulu Um, so I haven't seen it but it's very good and I highly recommend it and I don't want to spoil it for you so I will just tell you briefly what the testaments is Pretty much, it is the story of Gilead about 15 years after The Handmaid's Tale ends. And it is from the perspective of three women. One woman you will know and probably loathe from The Handmaid's Tale. I will not say her name because when you read and you discover who she is, it will be lots of fun because you'll probably gasp. Um, One character is the daughter of a very well-respected commander. Um, And she is coming of age, you know, the point at which she'll be married off to someone, potentially. Uh, And then there is a young woman who is in Canada and is very, you know, aware of the dysfunction of Gilead, anti-Gilead wanting to make, you know, her stake known about how she thinks this is a horrible regime that should be toppled. And it is the interconnectedness of all three of these women and kind of how their stories overlap and impact each other. And you really can't put the book down. I'm pretty sure, I think I started this book, let's see, I bought it the day before I went to the airport and I read it on the plane the entire way. I had a layover. I read it during the layover. I think I finished it, like, in the, in the day that I, that I started it. How many pages is this book? It's um, about 400 and something. 300 and something, maybe? But you, you cannot put it down. It is just written so well. So, things that I have taken away from the Testaments. I've heard people say, kind of, you know, particularly I I would guess women of color, that The Handmaid's Tale is like a white woman's version of, you know, 12 Years a Slave or something. Um, And it's not even real, (laughs) whereas 12 Years a Slave actually happened. Um, But Margaret Atwood said when she wrote The Handmaid's Tale, that she did not create any brutality that had not already happened on this earth already somewhere. It's just heinous in particular because she places it in in um, a, a location that you would never imagine it would or could occur. To kind of backtrack, af- before I read the Testaments, I read a very short book called On Tyranny, I forget the name of the author at the top of, like, right now. I gave it to my brother when I went home, and so I don't have the the book handy. But it was, like, 20 lessons you learned in the 20th century. Um, he's a professor at Yale, I believe, whose um, niche is Eastern Europe, um, and in particular around, like, you know, totalitarian and communistic regimes and these sorts of ideas. And so... You know, he's framing everything in the history of what we could learn from what happened in Nazi Germany, what happened in Russia, what happened what has happened, you know, throughout the throughout the West, and how quickly or fragile um, rather democracies really are. And I think that Margaret Atwood, even writing the testaments, would attest to the fact that it is a warning that we cannot be lax complacent passive when it comes to freedom that freedom is not free it is bought it is fought for as a woman uh, it's really creepy as a Christian it's it's interesting as you know it wouldn't be the first time that the Bible held in esteem is you know misrepresented given that in both the handmaid's tale and in this book they don't want people reading women reading and they don't definitely don't want them reading the bible yet it's supposed to be a, some sort of theocracy you know the irony if the book that you're building your your regime on you won't even let the people read it should tell you that the people aren't actually living up to the book just a guess um and in the same way i was talking to a, a my very good friend um I'm blanking now which one I talked to. It was, oh, no, my friend Kelsey, actually, um, about slavery. I think it was Kelsey, or was it my friend Shelby? Oh, boy. I've had too many important conversations recently. But We were talking about the slave Bible and the idea that, you know, masters would use Christianity in these warped and twisted ways to justify slavery, which it cannot if you are using it correctly. It's just the way it is. And they tore out anything that talked about freedom or equality, anything that would make a slave question their plight, they took out. And they left the parts um, that said, you know, slaves obey your masters and be submissive to them. Which once again proves that nothing is new under the sun and that people who use um, scriptures out of context will just use whatever they want to perpetuate whatever belief they want to perpetuate. Um, so, you know, here we are yet again in, in a, in a very real present where people use scripture to justify cruelty or inactivity against social evils and ills. Um, I think the other thing that I, that struck me is that your threat the threat to your freedom is not necessarily an external force. It might not be, you know, the enemy out there, which is what everyone is telling you, particularly your creepy country or government, when really the threat is right here, right there, inside, you know, the the regime, inside the, the government, um, amongst the people. The wolf is not at the door. The wolf is already in the house. And... What's interesting is, you know, in the same way that um, there is rot from the inside that will destroy democracy and freedom, thank God there is, dem- is quote-unquote rot, but I, we, would, we would change the word because, of course, who wants totalitarianism? No one, um, except megalomaniac crazy people. Um, that the same insidious thing can erode regimes that are evil and destructive. Um, Because thankfully at some point people realize that maybe they're not the only ones who aren't in favor of what's going on. Um, That maybe they can find allies. And that maybe if they will put themselves on the line, it might be worth it. And we've seen in our own actual history of the world, the heroes in our history books are the people who go against the grain. When everybody else has said, I guess that's just the way it's going to be, oh, well, I'm just going to go along with the crowd. It is the person that stands up and goes, wait a second, the emperor is naked, that actually affects change. Even if he ends up hanging from a tree, even if he ends up shot in the back of the head. That does not necessarily mean that that death is in vain because there is something that shifts amongst the people when they realize we don't have to let things go the way they've been going. So I thoroughly enjoyed the Testaments. Kind of dreamt about it for a couple nights. Was really thankful that I don't live in that world and uh, hope (laughs) that um, I never have to understand what living in a totalitarian regime is like. Um, Yeah, that would be my takeaway. I'm going to take a quick break, have a little drink of water, and then tell you about some things I've been enjoying. I'm back. Um, So things I've been enjoying. I love the Great British Bake Off. It is one of my favorite things, and they just finished the season on Netflix where they, instead of letting you binge it all at once, they've like been doing one episode each week, which I've really enjoyed. So that has been making me very happy. Um, In addition, I have also um, been watching some interior design reality shows, which have been fun. I think they're also British. Um, And The Crown has season two coming up very soon which I have not, um, when is it? I think it's November 17th. And, I, it'll be interesting because it's a totally new group. I think Olivia Coleman is Queen Elizabeth, which is exciting. And Helena Bonham Carter is Princess Margaret, so that should be a good time. Um, that's about all the TV. I haven't been watching a lot of TV, and I haven't seen anything in the theater, um, this summer besides Yesterday, which was very fun if you haven't seen it. Um... Anything else that might be the bulk of what, you know, kind of just been working, which is probably why I haven't been reading as much and try to take my Italian lessons a little more seriously. So that's about all I've got for now. But I'm going to be reading An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. Um, So I think that'll be the next thing you all will hear about. Uh, Hopefully it won't take me like six weeks to do that. So it's been real. Have a good night. The Petite Polymath is a podcast from the mind of Brit Stone. Random. Sometimes profound. Hope you enjoyed.